When you're looking for hope, who will you listen to? Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to for when you're looking for hope? I agree with Desmond Tutu when he says hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Many are full of despair rather than being full of hope. Some comfort themselves with what they they can have in the here and in the now. Like the ancient writer Atticus. When he described what what he hoped for from, from, from life and from his death, he says, I hope to arrive to my death late in love and a little drunk. That's what Atticus's hope was. Bill Maher has obviously gotten sick of hoping at some point. He's made the statement, false hope really makes you cynical. If you're familiar with Bill Maher, you think he must have had some false hope at some point. I prefer Shel Silverstein, where he says, Listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves. And listen, then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. The Apostle Peter had listened to his Lord, his Savior, and his best friend. I mean, think about that. We're reading a letter written from one of Jesus' best friends. And he assures us that there is much for us to hope for in Christ So we're going to read our passage from last week, our verses from last week, because we're kind of tacking on to that this week, and and, and we're going to see the, the, review the foundation that has been laid from last week. And I challenge you last week, and and so again this week, that, that you would let joyful praise flow from the truth of your eternal salvation. These words describe the eternal salvation that is available. And they're meant to let joyful praise flow from them. When he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Secondly, I challenge you to let joyful praise flow from the refining of your precious faith. Peter describes rejoicing in the truth that he just read to them when he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we were encouraged by the idea that, that the, 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 to, to the various trials that are described here that are for our refining of our precious, priceless faith, that they're in the now. 
that they're for a little while. And that, and that can be in, in, ref, in, in, in comparison to eternity. It also refers to the fact that God has control of the timing. And they're only necessary. And the recognition that they grieve us. I'd like to share with you kind of in summary of these, these two ideas about something called the Stockdale Paradox. Maybe you've heard of the Stockdale Paradox. Maybe you haven't. Jim Stockdale was Admiral Jim Stockdale when he was captured during the Vietnam War. He was the highest ranking United States officer to take up residency at the POW camp called the Hanoi Hilton. At least that's what it was known as. Over eight years, he was tortured over 20 times. He, he lived without rights, with no set release date, and no certainty of whether he would survive or see his family, but yet he had hope. And he had a certainty, actually. What, what Admiral Stockdale said in reflection was this. He says, quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. He believed that while he was being tortured. Admiral Stockdale was asked what type of men did not survive captivity. Because being an admiral, there was a lot of men that were younger, maybe more fit, maybe more capable. When asked what type of men didn't survive, he said, that's easy, the optimist. That might sound strange. I thought you just said you had hope. This is what he describes as the optimist. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. So, so what's the Stockdale paradox? It's this. First, we must retain hope. Convinced that we will be delivered. But second, we must be real. Look squarely at the greatest challenges that you face without denial. An article that I read that described this, I first learned about uh, Jim Stockdale from a book called Good to Great. But I read an article about it this week and it says, it turns out that there are really two kinds of hope. There's the candy-coated type that encourages people to escape into sugary fantasies rather than cope with a bad situation. Then there's the brand of hope that allows people to look at the full horror of their situation square in the face because they have the grim belief that in the end, they will prevail. You know, these types of hope can be preached about from the pulpit. They can be sold. You can, you can sell the, the candy-coated hope, the gospel of get it all here and now. Selling a bill of goods that promises a better life by the world's standards. Or you can preach the hope of full awareness that life is full of trials, that sin brought pain, 
that sin brought brokenness. A gospel of a suffering Savior that has called us to follow Him. In the end, you'll be on the winning side. An inheritance, immeasurable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And in the meantime, it's not going to be easy. But the result, remember, is this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, it's going to mean good things. So moving forward in our passage, we see Peter seems in awe of the Holy Spirit's work of grace in his readers. I almost picture him, you know, I, I know that he, he expected, but, but scratching his head at the miracle of what God would do. Reading in verse 8 through 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I challenge you this morning from this, let joyful praise also flow from the presence of your personal Savior. If you have received Christ as your Savior, you know what that means? It means you have received a personal Savior. It means that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and that He is teaching you. We have been told from Romans 8.16, God's Spirit will testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. And if He is not, you are not. And over the years, you should develop an understanding of what that sounds like. In your heart. Let joyful praise flow from the presence of your personal Savior. Peter had seen Jesus, but his readers hadn't seen Jesus. You know, he writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. The tense here is you continually continue to love him. And they, though you do not now see him, it hasn't happened yet. Woke up the next morning and it hasn't happened yet. It's been 2,000 years, people. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Peter had overheard Jesus say to Thomas in John 20, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You're included in that, Christian. You're blessed for that. And the result is intended to be inexpressible joy. I'm so grateful for worship songs. For one thing, they remind me when I think that I don't deserve what I'm going through, they remind me that someone else, much greater and more powerful, deserves to be in control. But also when it comes to inexpressible joy, songs of worship help me to express what we have a hard time putting into words. But even yet, the joy that is available from our relationship with God is still beyond words. And it's filled with glory. A little bit of heaven on earth. 
So in summary, God does a miraculous work in saving those that, that as our passage described, that he caused to be born again. And without even seeing him, he gives us a love for him without any hope of seeing him now. He gives us faith to believe in him. And in the end, the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Maybe not our bodies, but our souls, which are eternal or immortal, to put it better. Picture, if you will, I I had this image in my mind. I thought about showing you a video of it that I have. I I picture uh, us walking on a trail through Spearfish Canyon in uh, the Black Hills. And Micaiah is a little six-year-old skipping down the trail, you know. And she just kind of stops and just kind of looks over things. And she just kind of continues to skip. Now, what if there was a huge thunderclap? Or, or, or what if there was, there was a scream of a fox, which doesn't sound bad until you realize it sounds like a tortured banshee, okay? Or, or, a, or a mountain lion's growl, which is, can happen in the Black Hills. What if she were to come scurrying back and cling to my leg or crawl up in my arms? And maybe we might hike the next mile with, with her on my shoulders. But understand this. Anything is good and gracious that forces you into the arms and the aid of the one who is good and gracious. Anything is good and gracious that forces you, if it forces you into the arms and the aid of the one who is good and gracious. The one who has said, come into my throne room and find grace and help in time of need. Ultimately, folks, it's about Jesus. But it's about Jesus and you together. And you and he on gospel mission. That's what it's about. And this here in our passage, it brings us to see how there are others involved in God's gospel mission. They are those who are outside of our time and even outside of our dimension. We see them here in verses 10 through 12, which we're not going to unpack this here this morning. But he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, these prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that now that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Two groups are described here as longing to experience what you are able to experience in Christ. Old Testament prophets who wrote about the coming Christ, what they knew from a distance and had to trust in by faith, we know him by name, Jesus. 
Jesus told the crowd in Matthew 17, uh, 13, 17, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And we could add to be able to read what you read and couldn't read it. The second group here that is outside of our dimension are the angels who are watching God's redemption plan unfold. God's entire eternal redemption story is unfolding even now before all creatures except for himself who is the one and only eternal who's in the past and in the future and in the present in this eternal moment. These verses encourage me in two ways here, folks. They help me to see the privilege position that I am in to be able to walk with God with, by Jesus Christ. These men, who, and secondly, these men who sacrifice so much and these beings that are more magnificent than I am, they both model the humility that comes from knowing that God is worthy. He's worthy enough for me to pay, to play whatever role he gives me to play for his glory. And so we move into verses 13 through 16. Because they're attached to these verses by a therefore. You know, they, they can say sometimes that the therefore is saying, I'm about to tell you what all of this other stuff is there for. The therefore is saying the truths of these verses should lead us to set our hope and to set our jaws for the ultimate calling of our lives, being restored bit by bit into God's likeness. So we read in verses 13 through 16, Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. While we looked at what joyful praise flows from, now we look at what joyful praise should fuel in us. What these truths should fuel in us. And let joyful praise fuel your fully engaged <coughs> following of Christ. The, 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 the terms I have highlighted here on the screen is to help you to see what the main verbs are here, okay? The therefore helps us to see that truth fuels a life of obedience. And Wayne Grudem says, if Peter's readers will first know the great truths of their salvation, as we see there in verses 1 through 12, and then being a happy, 
and then begin a habit of visualizing themselves personally on a path of life leading without fail to unimaginable heavenly reward, they will be mentally and emotionally ready to strive for a life of holiness before God. And as I mentioned, the two verbs here are set your hope and be holy. See the calling here to be fully engaged in following Christ. It says, set your hope fully, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is to be turned all the way up so that there is no room left on the dial reserved to hope for anything else, for our deliverance. And it also says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is a total gut job, people. All right? There is no part of our lives that is intended, that God intends to not change as we walk with him. So first of all, I want to point out here, set your hope on the Holy One's return. That's what we're told to do here, to set our hope on the Holy One's return. As I mentioned, the main verb here is to set your hope on Christ's return. The Apostle Paul shared his motivation for why he embraced pouring out his life as what he calls a drink offering to God. When he says in 1 Timothy 4.10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So this main idea is to set your hope. And the first aspect of doing this is preparing your minds for action. Now, if you look at the version that you have, it might say something about gird up the loins of your mind. Or gird up your minds for action or something like that. It's because the term here is, is very descriptive. It, it describes, um, you know, at that time, everybody wore cloaks, men and women together. It wasn't, pants were not of the fashion, right? And so if a man was going to need to hurry real fast from one spot to another or if he was going to be working out in the field or something like that, the way he would get around the fact that he had this long dress-like cloak on is he would reach down and he would grab the backside of it and he would pull it up and he would tuck it into his belt. And it kind of looked like he was wearing a big diaper, okay? But he was girding up his loins for action. There's several places that this is described and stuff, and when you see my kind of geeking out over this in, this in this study page, there's other references that are described in that, especially in the Old Testament. But this is, is like we would say, roll up your sleeves for mental action. Put your thoughts together. Have a disciplined mind. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says, obedience is a conscious act of the will. Christians in conflict need to need a tough-minded holiness that is ready for action. And when you find your mind dwelling on something else, it, like it's caught you and you wake up and you just can't get away from it, and it's just there, 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 I pose to you that you can't get away from it because you think that it's the basis of who you are that it 
It defines you. Why can't I find a man? Why can't I find a man? Why can't I find a girlfriend? Why can't I find a woman? Why can't I make this person happy? Why can't I succeed in my business? When we think it defines us, we can't get away from it. And part of how we are able to set our hope on Christ alone is to take over our mind, to take over our thinking. And, and, and I encourage you with that tool to realize if I can't get away from a thought, it must mean that I think it's the foundation of everything else that I do. What is the foundation of everything else that I do? It should be that I am loved. I am accepted. I am significant. I am secure in Christ. And that thing that's taken over your mind, it just kind of backs up to the background like everything else. Warren Wearsby says, when you center your thoughts on the return of Christ and live accordingly, you escape the many worldly things that would encumber your mind and hinder your spiritual progress. Preparing your minds for action is an aspect of setting your hope on the return of Christ. Second aspect here is being sober-minded. The definition here is to be in control of one's thoughts. One's thought processes and thus to be um, not be in danger of irrational thinking. Somebody that's not sober is not really in control of their, 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 their words, their body, their actions, the way they should be. Somebody that is not sober-minded is not allowing God to exercise the control of their thoughts the way that he can. It's to be calm, steady, controlled, to weigh matters. If, if you will, imagining a person walking a, 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 a test on the side of the road, it, it's to be able to mentally put one foot in front of the other without stumbling. See how the truth of God's word, when we apply it in our thinking, it allows us to set our hope on the return of Christ. And you can't do that if your thoughts are just everywhere and everywhere and, and, and your, your actions are just governed by your emotions. Allow your life to be governed by his truth. And why must we do this? Because it's easy for us to set our hope on things that are lesser than Christ's return. Jesus is bringing an even greater amount of grace. We're told here that Christ's return is described as the grace that will be brought to you. This is God's grace at work. And his work is going to be on steroids when he returns people. Look to that. And along with the call to set your hope on the Holy One's return, I challenge you to set your calling on the Holy One's standard. We have a high calling, people. A high calling. We read, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Phillips Bible says, don't let your character be molded by the desires of your ignorant days. It's talking about the old nature, the former self. Which, which, if you know Christ is your Savior, there's an old you and there's a new you. 
And we're not to let ourselves be governed by that old you. There's a contrast here of two options. And, and this chart is, is on the back of this page as well. But just to see this, and then we'll go back to the verses so you can see it there. Between walking in the flesh and walking with God, there's the identity of the former older self. And the identity that we should have as God's children. There's the basis of what we do of being based in ignorance. Or doing it based in truth. We're, we're going to be changed into conformity to our passions or conformity to being like God, being holy. There's only two options here, folks. I'm sorry. I'll see it in our verse here. Walking in the flesh with our hope set on the here and now, we live with an identity of the sin nature, the former ignorance the former self, on the basis of ignorance and becoming simply conformed to passions. But yet walking in the Spirit where our hope set on Christ, we have an identity of being God's child on the basis of it is written. Not a basis of ignorance. We have the opportunity to become like God, not conformed to passions. Which would you want to characterize your life? Living from an identity of your sin nature or living from an identity as God's child? Living from the basis of ignorance or living from the basis of it is written? Becoming conformed to your passions or becoming like God? That's the difference between walking in the flesh and walking by God's Spirit. You can learn more about that in Galatians 5 if you're interested. Our gracious calling from God is to be set apart for our gracious God. Wayne Grudem says, Peter reminds his readers that it was God who initiated their salvation when the gospel came to them in power, summoning them out of the darkness into fellowship with himself. It was a powerful, effectual calling into the Christian life And all it involves, a calling to live with God and to be like Him. And Peter quotes a statement that has been quoted several times in Scripture, made by God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. What? Are you kidding me? Who in the world can do this? Who in the world wants to start something and try something that they're going to stink at, right? First, guys, we don't grow in personal holiness by trying really hard. We grow in personal holiness by letting God do it in us. By setting our minds on what is true by girding up our minds for action with his truth by taking our sin to him and confession and letting him cleanse us secondly we will need to grow in holiness until the day we die this is a horizon issue folks 
It is a point on the horizon that you never get to in this life. But we're called to move forward. We're called to move forward. And one day he will make us holy. When we're in his presence, when we're in heaven. I just finished up a book, a a fiction book called The Warden and the Wolf King. And, and the, in the people are speaking of the land that, that in the story, it's analogous with heaven. And it's described as a place where what you need and what you want are the same thing. Where what you need and what you want are the same thing. Because God is going to finally, fully transform your heart to where There's a sameness between what you need and what you want, and you will want what is best. And that's God's glory. It means that your heart longs more and more for the glory of God, no matter the cost. That's what growing in holiness means. So let joyful praise fuel your fully engaged following of Christ. Setting your hope on Christ's future return just as as you set your faith on his past work. Setting the standard of your calling on God's perfect holiness. Have you ever participated in one of these uh, like 5K awareness runs? It might be cancer awareness or or muscular dystrophy, or autism, or something like that. And oftentimes, people will, will they'll raise money and for, for how far they go, or, or, or whichever, if they complete the race, and, and, um, uh, which is usually a walk. And, and it's, it's a good time. So, so picture there, amidst all these kind of overweight adults and children running around, you know, they got their t-shirt, and... Um, Sorry, uh, I'd be one of them. But but there in the midst of them, there's this competitive runner, right? He's like, you know, got his running shorts on, which nobody should leave the house in. and, And he's looking intently. He's envisioning the finish line. He's preparing his shoes and his, his headband and, and his socks. And he's preparing his mindset, his focus. He's resisting the baked goods that are there for the participants. He's thinking, this race is worth all of my full effort. He's not going to get sucked into the pleasure walk mentality of the others. Imagine, if you will, that at the end of the race they find out that there's an ancient truth involved. That every measure of effort would actually move closer to a cure of whatever it is that they were running for. And that inexpressible joy was promised for every moment of rightful, wholehearted effort. How, how would that, that, that competitive runner feel at the end of it, knowing that every second he shaved off did good? How would the others feel knowing that every second they dawdled did less good. That's, that's, that's the life that we're in, folks. 
We're called to to get our minds ready. We're called to be sober-minded, to set our hope on the finish line of Christ's return. We're called to, to resist those things that would keep us from being more and more like God himself and to let him shape us more and more day by day into his image. The fact is this, guys. We're content to stick with our weaker callings. We're content to stick with the the pursuit of the American dream, life, liberty, and happiness. We're we're content with with the calling of raising 1.5 children and, and hoping that they have thrice as many grandkids. Maybe even the callings of attending a small group or teaching children's church even or other service. Remember guys, we're brought to these verses through the discussion of various trials. And that's where Peter will continue to talk. We're refined by fire when comfort is removed. When you're seeing doctors that you never thought you would. When you're watching your kids or your grandkids wander to where there's nothing good. We're called to set our hope and to set our jaws for a higher calling. Holiness. Being restored bit by bit into God's likeness as he is holy. Let's bow our heads.